0: Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness Nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. A very light passage this morning. Easy topic to talk about. And so I am glad that we shall do it together uh, today. Uh, But let me start with this. And this is important because we heard about it in Eric Wallace's class this morning. The church is a hospital. I love your phrase, Leslie. And sometimes the doctor is a patient, and sometimes the patients are doctors, and vice versa, and around around it goes. So I want to begin by saying, do not for one second think as I preach on this passage that the guy standing up front, well, he's got it figured out. He's got it all together. His life is buttoned up, and sin is just a distant memory. That is absolutely not the case. And for those of you who know me well, <laughs> you're already fully aware of that fact. But it's important, I think, to say that. It's, it's why when I walk into, I teach Tuesday evenings, I teach at the jail, the local Albemarle County Jail. When I walk in there, I say, look, guys, I am not here standing above you, teaching you, oh, you poor people who are in jail, the word of God. I am a fellow beggar. There but for the grace of God go I. I don't have it figured out. Let's walk through this together. And so that's what I would ask for us this morning. And I'll start with by saying this. We are taught from a very young age, living in the United States of America, and this might be true in lots of other places in the world too, that we should want more than we have. That whatever you have, it's not enough. You see it in every advertisement you've ever seen. You, you, you feel it as you paw through your social media feeds, right? We, we are a place that believes more is always, more and bigger is always better. In America, greed is good, basically. Basically. I mean, if we really boil it down, because it keeps the economy moving and we've got to keep goods being produced. And so we have adopted this attitude in our own lives where we have a lust for more. We have a greed for more and it often will consume us. But as we talked about last week from Ephesians chapter 5 verses 1 and 2, we are the sons and daughters of the Father. It says we are the beloved children. And the Bible knows, God knows, that that place is the only actual place that we will find any true fulfillment, contentment, and delight. And yet, (laughs) we chase after other stuff to find it. And that's what Paul is describing in this passage. In chapter 4 of Ephesians, there was a lot of positive things he said the Christians should do in their lifestyle to reflect God, right? Do you remember he said, he said, speak the truth and put off falsehood. Make sure that you have your anger in check. If you're going to call yourself new, right? We've put off the old and we've put on the new, as Christians, says Paul in Ephesians chapter 4. And so everything about us is different. And here, it's a little tougher, but he's, going to gi- he's giving prohibitions, And these prohibitions are meant to help us see that there are many false lovers that are trying their darndest every single day to rip us out of the love of the Father. You feel it. You know it. You probably experienced it to some degree this week. Something that you knew was drawing your heart away from God. Paul describes a couple of those things. He says, Um, He says, basically, lust and greed in the human heart are going to be focused on sexual immorality and covetousness. Both of them are summarized in the word greed. The, The Jewish people at this time and for centuries before, the Israelites knew and believed that greed was at the heart of all other sins. We often think it's pride, because we're Americans, we put pride as number one, but they believed it was greed. The lust, the constant desiring after more. They knew that was the thing that was going to pull you most quickly and most powerfully away from God. The passage breaks down like this, if you're a note taker. It's also in your bulletin in the little insert. We're going to look at it in three ways. First, we're going to look at the delight that we often have in the darkness. We're going to admit it like Paul admits it. Then we're going to talk about the fact that we were made for the light. We're people made for the light. And then we'll we'll wrap up with how in the world do we begin to delight ourselves in the light? in what is light? So first, delighting in the darkness. The reason I use the word delight is because as I read this passage from Paul, I could not help but be reminded of Psalm chapter 37, which says this, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. We as human beings are walking sacks of desire. We are. Admit it. You have all of these things that are pulling you towards different areas of life. right? We want more of food and drink and sex, and, and stuff in our inbox, and stuff to fill the porches of our home, little boxes. We all feel this very powerfully. And yet God says, again in Isaiah chapter 55, He says, "'Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which is not satisfy?' God says, listen to me diligently and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. The word delight in the Hebrew is ing. I know it sounds kind of strange. It's like an ending to one of our words, ing. But ing is this idea of dainty or soft. Well, that's weird. What does dainty and soft have to do with delight? Well, what's the best cut of meat? What's the best cut of meat? Anybody? The filet, or at least I think so, when I go to a restaurant. It's the softest part. It's the choicest cut of the meat. It's that that which is most desirable for the human heart. And God recognizes this. He created us. He knows how we're wired. And he says, you want the choicest cut. You want exquisite delight. The focus of your life is on finding those things that most delight you. And he says, I made you that way. But sin has come in and distorted our delight. Sin has come in and said, it's not really God that you want. It's the choicest cut of meat. Or it's the curves of the leather of your brand new Lamborghini. I know all of you are buying Lamborghinis on a regular basis. Maybe it's the curves of your new iPhone 10s Max." Maybe it's the curves of the Hollywood movie star that you accidentally saw in your news feed from Fox News. You noticed those curves, didn't you? You felt the hands moving down your body in the $300 spa that you just got recently and you knew, here is exquisite delight. Or maybe it was the buzz of the second glass of rosé. Exquisite delight. Y'all, all those things I just described are good things. They're good things. They're given by God. They are things we are meant in our hearts to be thankful for. But we don't say thanks very often. Instead, we get hungry and we go after those things I just described and we want just not some of it. We want more of it. Just one more. Just a little bit more. Just one more time is the way that our hearts begin to respond to the luxuries of life. We chase them with focus and abandon. The world around us that does not know God chases them with no shame. And then within the church, because we've heard a pastor up here like me talk up front about how I'm supposed to love God, we chase them in secret within the church because we know we're not supposed to talk about it out loud. But why, Lord? Why would you make us with all of these desires? Why would you make us pant after these things within our life, with our life? if you are the one who will ultimately satisfy us. As St. Augustine said, our hearts are restless until we find rest in you, O God. Well, I think it's because he wants us to be passionate. He does. The, The antidote to the passion and the lusts and the greed that you feel in your heart is not to become a stoic and shut it all down. And just be like, no, I won't think about it, no, I won't think about it, no, no, stop, I won't have one more, no, 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 no. As you and I know, that absolutely never works. You cannot suppress it. This desire that has been put within you is something you are built with, and it is meant for good. And the key that Paul is going to talk about in our passage is not to quash the desires of your heart, but to redirect them. And they can only be redirected by God himself. And we're going to look at how he does that as we go on this morning. But I do want to touch for just a moment upon the things that Paul mentions. We can't skip over them, even though we're in a sermon. And I'm going to be careful, Melanie, because I know you have little ones in here. But he says, "...sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you, as is proper for the saints." Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. The reason that Paul mentions um, crude joking, foolish talk, filthiness, is what he's trying to get across here, is that if your mouth is filled with those things, it's simply a revelation of your heart. Did you know that? That your tongue is just a revelation of what's going on in your heart? The words that come out of your mouth show what's happening in your heart. You can't hold them back. They're going to slip out at some point. And he's saying your heart is probably caught up with all of the lusts of greed, of covetousness, of sexual immorality if you are making crude jokes. He's not just trying to be a prude. Like, well, Christians, um, they can't really have any humor. right? We should never laugh. Uh, Make sure that you are serious at all times. That is not what Paul is saying. Christians should be the ones who laugh the most of all people on this earth. He's just saying that if there's innuendo constantly coming out of your mouth or crude joking about sexuality, what you are doing is putting sexuality into the category of something that is not sacred. And if we've learned anything from Paul in the book of Ephesians, it is that sex and sexuality are sacred. They are meant to give us pleasure in the right context. That's the key point. The right context within marriage. Now, he gives a couple of warnings. And I want to mention those before we get to the point about light. He gives a couple of dashboard warnings. He says, there's not going to be any inheritance in the kingdom for those that are uh, ruled by greed and by lust. And then also, the wrath of God is coming upon those who are ruled by greed and lust. Now, I want you to be careful with these verses. Okay? Because it's easy to think, as I did when I was younger, and I was consumed with some lusts, you know, a young man. The hormones are starting to kick in around puberty, and I found myself desiring after the other, the opposite sex, shall we say. And I thought, okay, well, if I have these desires, and if I occasionally act on these desires, well, then I guess I have um, been kicked out of the kingdom of God. You ever thought that? I know every, probably every, all of us at some point have thought that. How could God, because of my desires and my heart, really love me? Even though I have all these lusts and this greed... And what he's saying is this. He's saying is if it has taken over you, then it's obvious that God is no longer your king. He's not saying that sometimes you sin or that you give into the lust every once in a while. He's saying is if it has taken over your life, then God is no longer the king and he's no longer on his throne. Thus, you cannot be in the kingdom. It is not just something future. He's not saying, oh, you committed a sexual sin. Well, then you're kicked out of the kingdom of God. Oh, your hope for heaven is gone. That's not at all what he's saying. Because when Jesus talked about the kingdom, he talked about it as something that was present and something that was future. And so he's saying, this is about the rule of God in your heart. Do you... Do you constantly, through repentance, put God back on the throne in your heart? Because that's what we're going to do this morning. That's what we're called to do as Christians. You're going to fall. You're going to slip into lust. You're going to be greedy. But are you willing to be honest and to be repentant and to come back to the gospel of God? Because that's what wrath means. It says the wrath of God is coming upon those that partake in these things. Remember what wrath is. We studied this a couple of weeks ago. Wrath is simply anger within the heart. Why is that anger kindled? The anger is kindled within our heart when it is righteous so that we take action. This is saying God takes action. He loves us so much that He will not let us be consumed by greed and lust and sin that draws us away from Him. He wants to come after us. It's because He loves us. It's not wrath, angry old man, you know, you shouldn't do that, and I'm just mad at you, and I don't want anything to do with you. No, wrath, real wrath, which pretty much none of us experience in our lifetime, because God's perfectly righteous and we're not. Our wrath is usually egotistical, I'm just going to be honest with us. His is not egotistical. His wrath is an emotion of jealousy within him because he wants to be an intimate relationship with us. And he's he's coming. He's running out to the end of the road for the prodigal because he wants us back home. He wants us back home. Why does he want us back home? Because we're made for the light. That's the second point. If you're taking notes, we're on the second point. We're made for the light. It says we're children of the light. All right, y'all, we're going to start to get practical. (laughs) This is tough stuff. I love it. It's beautiful, but it's tough stuff here in Ephesians chapter 5. Basically, what Paul's saying is look, if you want this healing, if you want to restore this relationship with God, you are going to have to, Christ Central Church, bring your dark stuff into the light. If you're like me, you don't want to. You are going to resist it with every fiber in your being. To bring what you know is deep dark down there that you haven't told anybody about, that you probably haven't really admitted to yourself, but it's got to come out. That's what Paul's saying. It's got to come out. When, is it ex- when it's exposed in a healthy way, because God is the one who's drawing us towards Himself in this process, when it's exposed, it then becomes light. The deeds of darkness, you see it here? He says, right, he says let me find it. Blah, 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 blah. But when anything, verse 13, but when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. And Paul is saying that even though there are things in your life you are ashamed of, when it is brought into the light of Christ, it is transformed right then and there. There is, because of what Jesus has done, the condemnation for that shameful thing is gone. And you can begin at that point to help other people. Talk to anyone who's gone, gone through any sort of recovery program, and they will tell you the way that you stay in the light is that you constantly are helping other people expose the darkness within them. This is how the discipleship relationship works. This is what God is doing within us. He is saying you are light. You have been transformed by Christ. You have gone from darkness, and you have come to light. And the key is to live what is already true about yourself. You are light. Why do you keep living in the darkness? You are light. Why do you keep hiding things in the darkness? That's what Paul is asking. That's what God is asking us. You are light. Anything that you bring out, anything that you expose, yes, there might be some people who shame you. Okay, admittedly, that might happen on the front end. But God is the one who we're ultimately responsible to. And he says, I will take it and I will remake it and I will transform you. It does not matter what it is. We are children of the light. He says, walk in the light. He says, I want you, we talked about this this morning, Eric, you mentioned it earlier in Sunday school. What we have as the church to offer the world is not a group of people who've got it all together. We do not offer that. We do not offer a group, we're not a group of people, a gathering, a unity of people that has it figured out. No way. We are a group of people who are rigorously repentant. That's what we're aiming for, Christ Central Church. That is the beacon of light to the world. That is when people will actually begin to come in and say, okay, this is different. This is different. This is not a bunch of folks putting on a show, oh, you've heard it all, haven't you? Just like me, right? The church is just made up of a bunch of hypocrites, Right? I guarantee you, though they have not experienced rigorous repentance. Really a group of Christians bringing their dark stuff into the light and watching as God transforms it within the community. It's in it's it's legitimately miraculous. Okay. Final point. Point 3. Hmm. Paul says this as he as he concludes And it's this beautiful poem. For anything... Oh, sorry. (laughs) That's before. Therefore, it says... We're going to conclude this. It's so important for us to remember. Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Let's break that thing down because it is so awesome and there's so much beautiful truth to be had here. First of all, awake. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. Awake. You don't wake yourself up. If you are even now today wallowing in the darkness, and you have been for years, you are not going to wake yourself up. It's not how the principles in God's kingdom work. The Holy Spirit does. Think about waking yourself up this morning, or yesterday morning, or sometime this week. How did you get up? Somebody describe it for me. Anyone? Anyone? Yes. So what's your system? You have a system? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hypothalamus woke you up. Very slowly, yeah. Maybe the light came on and, and clicked your hypothalamus. Maybe you're like me and it's your phone next to your bed. You know, and you're slapping that thing down a few times. I don't know what your particular system is, but... The bottom line is your conscious self has nothing to do with it. That's what Paul is trying to get across in this passage. It's that when you lay yourself before God and you are willing to come into his arms, into his kingdom, he will wake you up. He'll wake you up. Now, I want to give us a quick picture of what this waking process looks like. Um, and it's often done for someone that is in the fog or I would say the dungeon, or someone who's in the cave, or has been captured by lust, or by greed for something or someone, it often takes what people call a crash in life, or rock bottom, or the TV show that my wife and I like to watch uh, back in the day. It might still be on on uh, AMC, perhaps, called Intervention. Anybody ever seen that show? You've heard of an intervention, right? It's when like your family and friends get together, and they say, Wake up! You're hurting us! You're hurting your friends! You're ruining your life! And they're attempting, now admittedly, it doesn't always work because Holy Spirit doesn't always um, come right in that one moment. But it's an attempt to get someone to say, Poof, I'm living in the darkness. Jesus has an Unbelievably fantastic description of this. He has this thing called the parable of the prodigal son. You ever heard of that? But here's how it's how Jesus describes it, uh, and this is verse 17 of um, Luke chapter 12. He says that the prodigal son. Okay, let me let me give a little background. This son of this father decides. You know what I. I'm tired of living the good life uh, at home and being like the good, the good little kid who's obeying and all that jazz. I'm out of here. He says, give me my inheritance, which is basically like spitting in the face of your father at that time. So he spits in the face of his father and says, give me all my money. I'm out of here. I want to go have some fun. And he does. Wow. He, every lust he ever felt in his body or his heart, he's like, I'm going to go satiate it. And he goes after i mean you name it, drink wine women you he 's got it all he is he is going hardcore gambling et etc et etc et etc et etc, and um, he eventually becomes destitute because you 're going to run out of money eventually if you're if you 're pursuing every lust of your heart you're, you, the money will run dry, and so he 's feeding pigs in this pigsty, and he well i 'll stop there jesus says when he came to his senses when he woke up. Not his own doing. This was the Holy Spirit working in his heart. But he woke up. It says, he said, he, he said to himself, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out. Okay. Second point. Arise from the dead. Okay. We do have a part to play. Holy Spirit works first, wakes us up in the darkness, in our sin. But we have a part to play. That's what this guy does. He comes to his senses. My father's servants have more money and eat better food than I do. Right now, I'm going back. And so his task is to go back. He makes the trek back to the father. He gets on his horse, or probably doesn't have a horse because he's poor. He walks back to his father's house. And he says, I will set out and go back to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. I don't know where you are. You may not have been woken up yet. You may still know you have this, these, you're have chasing your greed and the lust of your heart like crazy, and you haven't been woken up yet. But when you wake up, it's time to move. When the Holy Spirit moves, it's time, it's time to go. It's time to get it out in the open. That's what he's saying. He's saying, I'm going to be honest. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. And this is the best part. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son and he threw his arms around him and he kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And the father said, That's right, you pig. Get out of my house. I'm kidding. That's not what the father says. That's what we'd expect, isn't it? He's being honest, right? He's revealing his heart. I have have sinned against you and against heaven. I have gone and lived this horrible life. I spit in your face before I left. And we'd expect the father to be like, Yeah! Yeah! You punk, you piece of junk. I can't believe you would ever think about coming back. You can live in the barn for a week, but you better go find your own place after that. It's not what the father says. The father does not even acknowledge that he said something. The father says this. this the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, while his kid was still speaking, the father says to his servants, Quick! Bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. That's the kind of father we have. That's the kind of father we have. Go now. Go. Bring it to the light and go. He is is going to run down the driveway towards you. You no longer have to be scared because Jesus paved the way. And that's the final part. We're going to talk just for a moment about Jesus paving the way, and then we're going to do communion. Christ will shine on you. The love of the Father is on you. Y'all, give up all those lusts and those greed that you're following all the other junk. The Father wants to be with you. He loves you. He wants to be in an intimate relationship with you. He wants to change your life. And the light of Christ will shine on you. Here's the difference between the light that we often live under, the light that, I'll speak for myself at least, that I live under, and the light that is being offered by God in this passage, the light of Christ. The light that we tend to live under is something not so much like these lights, but I'm going to call them stage lights. If you have ever been to the Jefferson Theater in the downtown mall? Or if you've ever been to a concert of any kind, you've seen the can lights that I'm talking about. They're black usually, and they point down right, and you're on the stage. Some people love them. (laughs) Most of us, hate them. And yet we choose to live our life under those cans. We choose to live on the stage. We truly believe, and I don't know what age it happens for some of us. For me, it happened when I was pretty young. But it was like, I'm on stage and I've got to perform for other people I've got to make sure that I don't get exposed. I can't turn around when the can lights because I'm going to get exposed. And when I'm exposed, people are going to reject me. No one probably would even want to be around me in the first place. And so I live on the stage and the lights burn. And I'm always waiting for the next tomato to be thrown. I'm always waiting for the shoe to drop. I'm always waiting for the jeering and the mocking to start because I'm on stage for other people. Not at all. Not at all with Christ. That, y'all lots of people, and I'll put myself there, live life under those lights. And it it, it creates one major thing. It creates fear. You're going to live in constant stress and fear. Are you stressed? Guess what? You know why you're stressed? The can lights. That's why you're stressed. Facebook is can lights. It is. What are people thinking of me now? You put a post up on Facebook and you're like, okay, I'm only going to check it once every six hours because... If I check it every hour, the likes aren't going to go that fast. So I need to like, make sure that it's a little slower than that. Or, and I don't know, yours might be Instagram or Snapchat or whatever it is. It's can lights. People, give me approval. Give me what I really desire. The delight of my heart, give it to me. Give it, give it, give it, give it, give it. This is what we do with lust. This is what we do with greed. The light of Christ is different, though. It's a face that's how the Bible describes it. It's, a, it's, the, it's the face of God. Corum Deo is one of the Latin words that the early church fathers would use for this. Living before the face of God. And it's the only way to live. It's the only way towards zoe, You guys have heard mention Zoe before. It's translated eternal life in our Bible. Zoe is being knowing that the past is paid for and that the future is free and that you can live content in the moment. And do you see how Paul talks about that as being the end goal in our passage this morning? what's, What's the end result, Paul says, that is the opposite of the lust and the greed having taken over our hearts? Thankfulness. Thankfulness how thankful are you? That's an, uh, thankfulness is an indication of how powerfully zoe, that is eternal life, that is life in Christ, has taken over your life. It, or another word the Bible uses is contentment or peace. It's this idea of that I can live like right now, can lights, whatever. Perfect meal for lunch today, whatever. <laughs> New thing I got in my Amazon cart, whatever. Money I can give away? Here it is. Generosity. It is the zone. It is the place that God is putting us in Christ. And he says, this is the result of the light of Christ shining in your life. Imagine for a minute, it's sort of like a child, a a girl dancing before the face of her father. There's not can lights on. My, my little girl, Lyndon, when she dances in the living room sometimes because she likes to put on music and she's in front of me, her dancing, is she in here? She's not in here. It's not very good. <laughs> Lyndon, when you listen to this when you get older, I apologize. I love you. <laughs> it's not good. Most crowds would throw tomatoes, she would get mocked and jeered in most circles when her father is in that room, it is nothing but delight in my heart for that child. When my kid goes outside and he brings me a worm that he found under a rock and he gets the floor dirty in our living room. Under the can lights, you're going to get mocked and jeered. What do I do? Oh my goodness, I love this worm. I love it. You have just made your Father delight. You have made your Father smile. That is the light of Christ. It is Jesus saying, I have paid it all. I've paid for every sin. I have bought communion and union with you and God the Father. And you can dance before him because it's only the face of God shining on you. It is you and it is the Father. And it is what we all desire in the deepest parts of our heart. Let's pray. Lord, I, 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 I don't know where everybody is in this room. I don't know what this morning has captured their heart. But Lord, we, we pray that you would free us from any bondage. That you would begin, Lord, I pray by your Holy Spirit that in me and in those in this room, Lord, that you would awake us anew. Lord, I pray that we would be rigorous repenters because we know that the gospel of Jesus Christ is true and that he has paid it all by his death on the cross. Lord, I also pray that you would renew our relationship with you father i pray that that light that true light would move into our hearts lord that that you would burn off the way that we're enamored with the lusts of this world with the lusts of the flesh and lord i pray that we would have courage because of the gospel that tells us that through jesus christ we are not condemned i pray that everybody in this room including myself we would have the courage to expose and bring to the light the dark places, the dark deeds of our lives, Lord. We know we can only do it through your grace. We can only do it because you loved us first and you will love us last. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.